Amen. Has God been good to you? Amen. Has God been good to you? To tell you he's been better to me than I deserve. This is a little, little tall even for me here. <laughs> Got to get that adjusted. Well, I trust and pray you've had a wonderful week. And even if you haven't, it's about to get better. Amen. God is doing something great in this place. He is doing something wonderful at Found Life Church. And I am excited about what God has for us in store for 2020 for this year. How many of you are excited for 2020? It's already been a great year. God is moving. God is working. And God wants this to be the best year of your life. We've entitled our series, and we're going to dive right into it this morning. Normally, I have a little uh, chat with you, but there's so much content this morning, and I really want to get to it because I believe that God has freedom here this morning for those that will hear it. Do you believe that? Yeah. Amen. And so we've been talking about, uh, we've started this series, My No Fear year. We want this to be a year where we walk in faith, not fear. We want this to be a year where we don't shy away from things that once made us uh, kind of run for cover and, and things that we would normally be afraid of, but we want to walk in faith boldly into 2020 and, and going into We don't know the circumstance. We don't know everything that's going to happen, and sometimes that can be scary, right? The fear of the unknown, and we talked about that last week, that really it's often the fear of the unknown that keeps us from doing the things that God has called us to do. It keeps us from having the success that God has called us to have because we're too afraid because we just don't know what's going to happen. And so we've adopted as our scripture uh, for this series and really for this year, I, I'm, I'm projecting this uh, not just as a series, uh, although we will conclude at the end of January, but we want this to continue with us throughout 2020 because I believe that if we can, if we can go forth in faith instead of fear, that God will give us more ground than we ever thought possible, that we can do more for the kingdom than we ever thought possible, that we can affect change and we can see lives change. Do you believe that? Amen. Come on now. Do you believe that this morning? Give it with me, church. Do we believe that God can do some amazing things, that we can see people who were once bound up and captive, that they can come to know the freedom and love of Jesus Christ in this place? Amen. And we're excited about that. But this scripture in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter and the seventh verse, it's very simple scripture, but it says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by, oh, you guys are Good, you're getting there, right? Everybody's getting warmed up. The donuts or the coffee are kicking in now. We walk by, we walk by, we walk by faith. We don't walk by fear. We don't walk by our bank account. We don't, we don't walk by uh, CNN or Fox News or NBC or whatever you subscribe to. We don't walk by circumstances. We certainly don't walk by politics. And we don't walk by who's in office, who's out of office. Uh, we don't walk by political party or agenda. We walk by and when we cannot see, it's okay because we're not walking by what we can see. When we, when we don't see what's going to happen ahead, when we don't see the circumstances in front of us, that's okay because we are walking by faith in the one that knows it all and sees it all this morning. And so we want to continue in this series in 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, we're staying in the book of Corinthians, Paul's letter to the Corinthians. It's his second letter addressing this church in Corinth. And like any uh, uh, group of people, they've kind of lost their way. And Paul is trying to, in this letter, he's encouraging them. He's bringing them back to the teaching and the principles that they had once known. But as it is, you know, they're a good church, but they're a human church, right? 
And so as they are a human church, they're subject to influence. They're, you and I are. In fact, sometimes we, we look at the Bible stray and they're subject to things uh, just like you and I are. In fact, sometimes we, we look at the Bible and we think that, that that is somehow disconnected from the reality of who we are today. But in truth, uh, people and humans, uh, although we have uh, evolved in technology and certain things, there are certain inerrant uh, ab- flaws, if you will, that we have. And one of those is that we typically lose our disciplines and we have a tendency to stray away from those things that we know are right. And so Paul is coming back to the Corinthians. He's writing this letter. And a lot of this letter is saying, listen, come back to those teachings. Come back to those things. Uh, I know that there are a lot of people trying to say different things. But this is what you were founded on. This is the words of Christ. This is what you know to be true. So come back to this. And so he's writing here in 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter. And he's talking to them about an offering that is coming. He's been preparing this offering for uh, a couple years now. And uh, can you imagine you're taking an up offering? Like you guys thought it was bad. I had never taken up offering for a couple years, right? No, I've never done that. Never will. But Paul has been preparing this offering for the Jerusalem church uh, because they've been on hard times. They've had some economic problems. They have warfare. They've had different things. And so they have fallen on hard times. And so he's preparing this offering for the Jerusalem church. And in in chapter 8, he he talks to the Corinthians about what the Macedonians had done and how their faith had arose and, and all of these things. And so he's writing, preparing them for when he comes to take up this offering. And then in verse 5, he's already told them kind of the first part of this chapter he's already told them listen I know that you already know this but I'm gonna say it anyway I already that I know that you already know that it's good to give I already you already know that when it's when the bucket is passed that you're supposed to put a little bit in right amen oh good you guys know that too um that's wonderful uh but he's or he's preparing their hearts and he says so I thought I should send these brothers ahead of me to make sure the gift you promised is ready. Now, right here, Paul kind of sounds like a loan shark, doesn't he? Like, I'm just making sure you got my money. Come on, you can laugh at that. It's okay. If you don't laugh, the jokes are only going to get worse from here, and it's going to get more awkward. So just give me a little token laugh every now and again, okay? He says, so I'm sending my brothers ahead of me. I'm sending them so that you can get prepared, so that you can make sure that the gift you promised me is ready. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. But not one given grudgingly. Again, we see, as we did last week, we see this juxtaposition of faith versus fear. We see this tension set in close proximity when he says this last part. But I want it to be a willing gift, not one given grudgingly. A willing gift speaks to faith. A willing gift speaks to, I'm not worried about this. I don't have anxiety about this. A willing gift is one that is given at a spirit of faith and trust. A one given grudgingly is a gift given out of fear. It's one that's given out of, I really don't want to do this. I really, I really don't want to do this. I, I, I'm afraid of what might happen. There's, there's fear in my heart, anxiety uh, over what is going to happen if I give this gift. And Paul is saying he's, he's got these two things. Uh, he's already in, in chapter 5, he's already talked to them about walking by faith, not by sight. But now here's where the rubber meets the road, right? It's really good to talk about these things. But 
oftentimes we can shout, we can talk about, and we could praise God. Yes, I want to walk no fear this year. I want to walk by faith. That's awesome. And I can get a good hand clap when I talk about that. And everybody's going to shout, yes, no fear year. That's it. But when I say, okay, but I want to take up an offering, oh, that's when people, that's when we begin to get a little tight. That's when the tension happens, right? Because now it's where the rubber meets the road. It's this, it's this reality of, okay, now I'm faced with the, the real of, of putting aside my fears and walking in faith. And so one of the biggest fears, one of the biggest areas that we walk in fear, and one of the things that we want to conquer this year, we want to overcome, is in our finances. How many of you, if you would uh, just, you don't have to raise your hands, but I would imagine if you were just being honest, you would say that you have had at some point in your adult life or even in your uh, childhood, you've had some kind of uh, moments of anxiety over finances, yeah, I think that hits everybody in here. If you are, are an adult, if you've had any responsibility whatsoever, if you were over the age of uh, maybe 14 or 15, uh, no, maybe 16 or so, um, because my 14-year-old still has no anxiety over money whatsoever. Um, he thinks that I do have a tree in the backyard that uh, it grows from. But you have had some moment of fear, and I would venture to say that is one of the things, if we're being honest, that's one of the things that that probably brings more fear than anything else in our adult life. But did you know that it also has the ability, that your finances has the ability to bring more peace than anything else in your life? The thing that brings you the most fear, and I actually sent this out last night on a Facebook post because I thought about it, and I thought, you know, you know what's brought me more peace than anything else? It's been through my finances and generosity. It's been the thing that when I, when I go to fear, I know that God, I, I can trust, and I know that God has brought me through all of these things. But we have this fear, we have this anxiety. And so this year, and if I could title this message as this series is My No Fear Year, today is My No Fear Generosity. See, when we talk about the word generosity, we don't really fear generosity, but sometimes when we talk about giving, that gets a little bit different. See, if I asked you, like, should we be generous, all of you would say yes. And I want to just have a little disclaimer here. If you're new this morning, uh, we don't talk about this all the time. It's not like every week that we talk about finances and these kind of things. But I am so glad you're here because if there's anything, if you're here for the first time and there was anything that I wanted you to know about Found Life Church, one of our culture statements, one of the things that we live out, act out, breathe out, one of the things I pray almost daily that God help us with is that we believe in generosity, amen? We are a church that is generous. We give, in fact, our culture statement is we give generously because God has been so generous with us. Generosity brings freedom. It brings freedom to your life. It's a good thing. I was talking to somebody this week, and, and uh, actually unrelated, they didn't know what I was preaching, and we were just kind of talking about different churches, and they go to a different church, and um, he said, yeah, it's so cool. Our pastor never talks about giving. We have, we have uh, offering buckets in the back, but he never talks about giving. And they did that kind of uh, innocently enough in a really uh, kind of a, they were proud of that, that their pastor never, our church never talks about giving. And I think I shocked them when I said, oh, that's so sad. And what do you mean? 
I said, that's so sad because giving brings more freedom to people than anything else. Generosity brings more freedom in your life than you could ever imagine. And if your pastor is never telling the people about generosity, then they are missing out on an opportunity for peace and for freedom in their life. And so this morning, uh, as we talk, there can be a level of anxiety when we talk about giving. There can be a level of anxiety when we talk about generosity. But let me help you with that this morning. We are here to bring freedom to you. We are here. God is here to bring freedom to your life. And he desperately wants you to be free from the anxiety of the fear over your finances. And Paul agreed. Paul said this teaching was vital. In fact, um, he's This church is struggling, and they they needed to be reminded of the the teaching. And and Paul is comparing them, or he's letting them know about the the generosity in verse 8 of the Macedonian church. That even out of their great poverty arose generosity, and they gave, it says they gave even more than they had. They gave as much as they could, but then even more. They were so glad to give. They were eager to give. Paul describes in, in, in verse eight or in chapter eight, he goes on to talk about how they couldn't wait to give. And it was this amazing thing. And they, but yet the Macedonians were so poor, and really so poor relative to those who would be in Corinth. Excuse me. Corinth was a, uh, a very bustling city. It was a, a trade marketplace. It was a place, um, a lot of wealthy people uh, with the trade routes, and it was a, a, a town that welcomed in traders from all over. It was a port, and, and so uh, they would have been a very much more wealthy congregation than the, the other congregations around in that area. But how many of you know, too often we make the mistake of equating money and fear as a zero-sum game? So just because you have wealth doesn't mean that you have any less anxiety over money. That doesn't mean to, what I mean by that is uh, it, money and fear are not a zero-sum game. See, when we, when we look at it like that, we think that the more, we have more fear when we have less money. And when we have less fear when we have more money. But it doesn't work like that. See, oftentimes, and in fact, it's very easy to see, um, even, I, I watch those shows. Any of you watch those shows like The Lottery Ruined My Life? Anybody see that? I'm the only one. I'm weird, okay. Um, or at least I can't see your hand. <clears throat> but I like to watch those shows and just look at what people do with their lottery money. And it's amazing to me as you watch those shows how so many of them end in tragedy. So many people end up back where they started, or even worse, they end up broke. Because more money does not mean that you have any less fear. It doesn't mean you have any less anxiety. As, as one person put it that shaped my childhood, he said, more money means, y'all got that one. Like, I try to quote scripture, and you guys are like, faith, fear, what? <laughs> but I say, I quote Biggie, and you guys are like, more money, more problems, you know what I'm saying? You know? Like, you got that one. I should. Yeah. It's all right. More money, more problems, more fear, more anxiety. And so we can scientifically, scientifically conclude if I was doing an experiment and, and doing this in the scientific method and those things, I could conclude that your amount of money has nothing to do with whether you have fear and anxiety. So you can stop telling God, you know what, God, if I had more money, I wouldn't worry about it as much. Because the amount of money has nothing to do with the level of fear and anxiety that you have. And so Paul is trying to to teach them, and he could sense this tension, this same tension that we face every time. For some of us, every time that the bucket passes, we have this same tension. 
Every time that, that we are riding down the road and, and we come up to the, the we get off a, of a highway and we get to the red light and there's a homeless person sitting on the side of the road and, and there's this tension, right, of they have the, their sign and everything and, and we feel like maybe we should be generous, but yet... Um, and in which I use that as an example, but studies have proven that that's probably one of the worst things that you can do is give to those, but give better to homeless charities and things like that. But at the same time, there's that tension that we have, right? There's that tension when opportunities to be generous, when we see single mothers struggling or we hear their struggle, their plight and what they're going through. And there's this opportunity to be generous, but we have this tension and this fear of, yeah, that's, I feel bad for you, but I've got to take care of me. There's this anxiety, this, there's this fear that we have when we see struggling families and different opportunities and we have these things, these opportunities to be generous. See, Paul, he knew that they would be faced with a choice and so he wanted to get ahead of it. He writes ahead of this situation knowing that they're going to have this moment and he desperately wants them to understand freedom. He desperately wants them to have success in this moment and so he writes ahead to make sure that they understand to make sure that they're not going to make a decision in fear, that they're going to come with a willing gift and not one given grudgingly, that they're going to come with faith and not with fear. He says, you're going to have an opportunity to be generous. See, when we leave here today, you're going to have an opportunity this week to be generous. See, God's going to put people in our path. God uh, very often puts people in our path where we uh, have the opportunity to be generous. We have the opportunity to give. We have the opportunity to invest our talent, our time, our resources. And we have the opportunity to to show God's love in a generous way. But we have to determine now, we have to determine now whether or not we are going to be generous. Are we going to walk in faith as we leave here, as we leave this moment? Are we going to walk in faith or are we going to walk in fear? What is, what's it going to be like? What, what are we going to do? Are we going to be in faith or fear? If we wait till the moment arrives, then we've already failed. See, so many of us find us, ourselves in the same place. And if I asked you, like I said earlier, if I asked you, should I be generous? If I went and took a poll and said, should you be generous? 99% of you would say, yes, absolutely. Why do I say 99? Because there's always that guy, right? There's always that one guy. He's always the contrarian. of you would say, yes, I should be generous. So it's not a matter of whether or not we believe in giving. It's not a matter of whether or not we intellectually agree with being generous or giving. It's what stops us is the fear. It's the anxiety. It's the fear that we have. It's not our intellectual, it's not our intellectual capacities. We would agree, everybody would agree that, yes, we should be generous. Yes, this is what we should be doing. But it's our fear that holds us back. What are, what are we afraid of? We're afraid of the unknown like we talked about last week. What if something happens? What if I can't take care of my family? What if I can't pay my bills? What if I need something? What if, what if I have need of something later on and, and I don't have the money for it? What if I, I need a new TV? What if, I, what if my old one breaks? What if my car breaks down? What if I need something and I don't have the resources I need to take care of it? What if I give and they waste the money? What if they spend it on something that's ridiculous? What if they waste it? Then, then it would have been for nothing. 
And so we have this fear of the unknown, and so we hold back our generosity, not based on should we be generous, not based on our intellect, but based on our fear and our needs and our wants, and it becomes this inward-looking thing. It becomes this thing where we look, we look inwardly first. See, God never designed us that way. As we talked about last week, God always designed us not to look inwardly, not to look in towards ourselves, because we're always going to stumble and fall when we do that. God designed us so that we would always look to him as our resource. He, we would always look to him to, to lead us and to guide us and to walk in faith. See, Paul could have ended his speech right there. He could have said, hey, I'm, I'm coming. I'm going to be there in a couple weeks. I'm sending my boys. You better get your offering ready. Just an FYI, just a reminder. I just want to send that out to you. just want to give you a memo. And he could have ended it right there. But see, God, Paul's desire was to see them be successful. Paul's desire was to see them live in faith. He knew the tension. He knew what, was, what they were feeling. He knew that, they, that this opportunity was going to have an opportunity to, for freedom or for captivity. He desperately wanted them to live in freedom. And so he goes on to teach them lessons, to remind them of things that they already know. Remember in the first part of the chapter, he says, you already know this, but let me remind you. I want to remind you of some things. And so he goes on. And so this morning, I want to talk to you for a little bit about some lessons that we learned in faith-filled generosity here from Paul. As we look further in this chapter, the first thing we see in 2 Corinthians, the ninth chapter, beginning at verse 6, we see that attitude is everything. Your attitude is everything. You've heard it said before that attitude determines your altitude. You know, your attitude will determine how high you go. And attitude really is, is everything in life. It's everything uh, really in your job, your workplace, in your family. Uh, you husbands, you set the tone when you have a great attitude in your home, when you're willing, when you're willing to, to uh, be a partner with your spouse and, and to work alongside them. And your attitude isn't one uh, of being grudgingly, but being a helpmate and being there for them. It sets the tone for your entire household. It sets the tone for your entire family. And so attitude becomes so valuable in our generosity it's become so important and so Paul says in verse 6 remember this a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop verse 7 you must decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully See, the first part of that, we look at the first part of that, and I would venture to say that most of us know that scripture. In fact, uh, if you ask many secular uh, avenues and inputs, I've even heard that uh, quoted on uh, various secular TV shows and things like that. You know, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. If you, if you sow generously, you reap generously. You get what you put in and, and everything. But see, what happens to us is our focus, if we're not careful, our focus ends up being on crops. See, we get so focused on crops. See, we get so focused on, on the end game. We get so focused, uh, and, and when our crops are our focus, when, when the end game is our focus, when what we have in our bank account, what house we live in, what car we drive, when, when those things are our focus, then our response will always be fear because we're always gonna be afraid that we're gonna lose our crops. See, too often we get so focused on the first part of it, we get so focused on our crops but God's focus was never that. See, God's focus begins in, in verse 7. 
See, God's focus is for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. God's focus is all about our attitude. How many of you know this morning that God has need of nothing? God does not need your money. Too often we come into this place and we come in thinking that God somehow needs our money or wants our money. Too often we go into church services in general. In fact, there have been so many people that have been disenfranchised and turned off and things like that over money and finances and things in the church. But let me tell you something. God needs nothing of yours. The only thing he wants is your heart. The only thing that he wants is your trust. In fact, he doesn't need anything because he is everything. The scripture says that I am What is I am? I am is all sufficient. He is Jehovah Jireh. Does anybody know that this morning? He is God, my provider. If he is not our provider, if he needs anything, he cannot be our provider. He needs nothing from you. It is so imperative that you understand that this morning. God does not need your money. He is everything. He is all sufficient. But what he does want desperately is your trust. He wants your heart. He wants your heart, and it's so often that your heart is so tied to your bank account. It's so often that your heart is tied to your generosity. God says, I want your heart. I want a cheerful gift. I want an attitude that is pleasing. I want an attitude that trusts. I want an attitude of faith because I want you. I don't need your money. Scripture says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I don't know how much cattle that is, but a boy from Texas knows that that's a lot of cattle, and it's worth a whole lot of money. Amen? He does not need anything from us, but he wants our trust. He wants our faith. He wants our relationship. See, and we get so caught up in crops and seeds. And these, you know what's funny? The seed is just a vehicle for continued relationship. Let me tell you this morning, don't get caught up in counting seeds. You know, I, I used to, like I said, I used to live in uh, Texas, but I've lived in Tennessee and North Carolina and different rural communities. And I've never, ever, ever, in fact, when we lived in North Carolina, I knew a lot of farmers because there's a lot of farms there and, you, you know, either tobacco farm, bean farm, you know, different things um, that they would grow there. And I knew a lot of farmers. We lived in a rural community, but I never once heard a farmer brag about how many seeds he had. Never once. See, if we're not careful, we'll get caught up counting seeds and, and counting those things that we have and, and every nickel and every dime and every seed that we have. But see, a farmer never, never counts, he never brags about his seed collection because he knows that the value is not in the seed. Seeds in and of themselves don't have any value. They don't store up uh, big silos full of seeds. See, the value of the seed is in its ability to be planted. It's an ability, it's in its ability to be sown. See, it has no value outside of its ability to be put into the ground and to produce. See, a seed is meant to be sown. See, when the farmer lets go of the seed, he's not guaranteed that every seed is going to produce a harvest. Not every seed is going to produce a crop. And see, there are many farmers that could, see, could, could go back and say, you know what, I, I'm a little scared. I'm, gonna, I'm scared I'm going to lose some of this seed. What if, it, what if it doesn't work out? No. See, the farmer knows that the only way he's going to have success is if he sows that seed, if he puts it in the ground. And see, then he'll reap a a harvest and a crop that's so much more than that. That one little seed will produce so much more for him. See, if we're not careful, we'll get caught counting seeds. The farmer has to decide to put the, the seed in the ground before this cycle can begin. See, in verse 7, he says, you must decide. 
you must decide. You must determine. You must already, before you get to the point of this opportunity to be generous, you must decide in your heart. You must determine now what you're going to do when that opportunity comes. Because let me tell you something. If we, don't, if we wait until we get into the moment, we're going to fail. If we wait to get into the moment to, to determine whether or not we're going to live generously, whether or not we're going to be generous with, with what God's given us, we're going to fail. Why? Because we're human. Because we're going to walk in the short-sightedness of our humanity, not in the faith of what God has given us and the trust that we have in him. But see, if we determine now, if we determine today, you know what, no matter what happens, I'm going to, when given the opportunity, I'm going to be generous. I'm going to live in faith. I'm going to walk in faith, and as I meet people, as I see people, and, and God presents the opportunity to be generous, then my default mode is going to be generosity. See, you must decide now. You must decide and determine in your heart now. Are we going to trust him in faith, or are we going to pocket our seeds in fear? See, seeds only multiply when they're sown. See, so often we live in, in a lack, and, and we wonder why we come up short. It's because we got a pocket full of seeds and we're needing a place to sow them. So you got a pocket full of seeds. Maybe you're here today, you, you look around and you're thinking, man, I, I, maybe I have a, I've got a lot of needs. I, I've got a pocket full of seeds. And maybe there's, God's telling you, hey, those seeds aren't doing you any good unless they're put in the ground. But if you become someone who's generous, God can use that. God can multiply that and produce an overflow in your life. The second thing, the second lesson that Paul is teaching us here. A change in perception will change our reality. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 through 10. And God will generously provide all you need. God will generously provide all you need. Not some of what you need. Not most of what you need. God will provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. You will have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. See, the people around you will be blessed as well. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. See, sometimes we get too consumed with what we want and it clowns what we need. See, we get so consumed with what we want, and in our American culture, man, that becomes so easy to do because we look around, and man, there's a lot of things to want. You notice that? There's a lot of things to want. There's a lot of really cool things. We have access to so much, and, and even as we've passed through the Christmas season, man, it's like the height of our wants at the Christmas season. It's like, I want this. I want that. I want a new Apple Watch. I want a new car. I want a new, I want a new phone. I want to do that. And it's just want, I want, I want. But when you boil it down, what do you actually need? See, God says, I will provide all of your needs. But see, where we walk in fear is not because we're afraid about our needs. Oftentimes, we're more afraid and we're more in fear about our wants. God, I want this and I'm afraid that I might not have it. God said, I, I didn't, I'm not gonna, I'm not, I didn't say I was going to generously provide for your wants. I said I was going to generously provide for your needs. And how many of you know not everything that I want is beneficial to me, right? Let me give you an example. I often find myself wanting Donut King. Oh, I got some witnesses in the audience this morning. I want Donut King, man. I want it so bad sometimes I could taste it. Even right now as donuts sit on the shelf out there in the foyer, 
I, I want Donut King, man. I want cheesecake. Anybody out there can testify? I want some cheesecake. Mm, well, somebody went, somebody went real Pentecostal. Went, Woo! Hallelujah. They, they caught it right there. I want some cheesecake. Man, I want, I want some Oreos. How many of you like some Oreos? Maybe we're going to take it up a notch. I want some white fudge chocolate covered Oreos. Amen. Woo! But ain't none of that good for me. None of that is what I need. In fact, when I go to, to work out, I go to the gym, I go to talk to the nutritionists and these people that help me and everything like that, and none of them on my meal plan, not one of them has ever written down, okay, every day you're supposed to have white chocolate covered Oreos because you need that for your body. No. It's always something like, you know, raw eggs or, you know, kale or lettuce or vegetables and broccoli and that, that's all that good stuff, Right? So what I want is not always what I need. And what I need is, it, it might not be what I always want, but it's what will sustain me. It's what's going to be good for me. It's what's going to be healthy for me. Not everything that you want is healthy for you. And so God is not interested in providing for you generously everything that you want. He is not Santa Claus. He is more interested in providing the things that are healthy for you and providing the things that you need. And see, we create an atmosphere of fear based on what we want, not what we need. But everything we want is not what we need. And God is saying, no, no, no. I'm only going to provide for you what you need. But you know what? You're never going to have to worry about going without. You're going to have all that you need. He continues there in verse 10. And this is where it gets really good. Turn to your neighbor and say, this is where it gets good. This is where it gets good. He says in verse 10, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Somebody say, for God provides seed. God provides seed. God provides. Notice he didn't say God provides crops. God provides a harvest. God provides seed. See, he provides seed. Too often we're praying for a harvest and we're like a kid with a Christmas list and we become grocery store Christians where we have our shopping list and God, I want this and God, will you do that? And God, will you give me a new car? And God, I want a new job. And God, I want this, I want that, I want that. And God's saying, no, 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 I don't provide crops. I don't do crops, I provide seeds. See, God's given you a seed to be sown. God's given you an opportunity to bless other people, to be generous with other people. See, God provides all that we need, and too often we get consumed with praying for crops. See, we're looking for a harvest, but we haven't planted a seed. See, God said, I provide seed that you need to sow. See, what you want is a harvest. All you need is a seed. Tell your neighbor that. What you want is a harvest. All you need is a seed. We trailed off there for a second. It's all right. All you need is a seed. Amen. That's all you need. See, we think that we need harvest. We think that we need crops. We think that we need things. But God's saying, no, no, no. I provide seed and all you need is a seed. All you need is an opportunity to sow. All you need is an opportunity to be generous to somebody else. All you need is an opportunity to give as I have given unto you. See, I provide seed and my needs are met through seeds, I don't have to be afraid anymore. See, I can, I can, I can search for places to, to sow and to, to be generous. See, this is a game changer. This changes my relationship to generosity. 
this changes my entire relationship to, to my finances, to my resources, to those things, even outside of money, uh, time, talent, treasure, all those things. It changes my relationship to them. No longer am I trying to keep and no longer am I trying to store. No longer am I trying to save. But see, now I can go around and look for a place to sow. Now I know that, see, when God gives me something, it's not for me to just keep and hold on to. But if I trust in him, God's giving it to me so that I can be a blessing to somebody else, so that I can be generous to somebody else. And it's through the seed that he meets my need. It's through the seed, when we sow the seed, that my needs are met. See, I don't, the harvest is all about me, but the seed is about sowing into others. And God is saying, no, 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 I want you to understand me and I want you to understand generosity. And just like I give, I want you to give. And through giving, through generosity, all of your needs are going to be taken care of. So much so that those around you, their needs are going to be met as well. And see, when you have a great need... See, sometimes God is saying, all you need is a seed. And too often we, we think that, no, God, I can't, I can't get involved in giving. I can't get involved in being generous, generous because I don't have a whole lot. God's saying, you got something. You've got a seed. I've given you something. I've blessed you with something. And too often we're, we're looking around for harvest, but we haven't sowed a seed. What am I talking about? And the third thing, the third lesson this morning that we want to talk about is the greatest opportunity for blessing is in your need. The greatest opportunity that you have for blessing is in your need. It's in your need. See, now that doesn't make a whole lot of sense to people because when I'm in need, the last thing that I'm thinking about is giving to others, right? When I'm in need, I'm wanting somebody else to be generous with me. But see, too often, is God saying, the greatest opportunity that you have for blessing in your own life is in your need, and God will create a need in your life so that you have an opportunity to sow seed, to bless others, so that you can reap a harvest in your time. See, if we go back to the teachings of Jesus and what uh, Paul is really getting back to with the church at Corinth, and, and if you go back to the teachings in Mark, the sixth chapter, if you turn with me there, Jesus is, has been going around and he's healing people. He's been healing, he's been giving out, he's been pouring out, and he he comes to this place in Mark, the sixth chapter, where he says this, beginning at verse 31. He says, it says, then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. He tells his disciples, let's go away for some R&R. &R. Disciples are like, man, that sounds good to me. That sounds good. Let's go relax. Let's go, you know, kick our feet back. We've been working hard, Jesus. We need some time. We need some, you know what? I, we need some me time, right? Jesus, you need some me time. You need some time alone. You need some rest. You need an opportunity to kick your feet back. And so they, they are, are on this journey and they say, let's go rest. But they didn't even have, his apostles didn't even have time to eat. And it says, and then as we go on, people find them. In verse 34, it says, Jesus had compassion on them. See, now Jesus is tired. He's weary. He's in need of rest. But yet there are some people there that, that they still need him. They still, they have needs. They have wants. They have, they need healing. They need salvation. They need hope. They need joy. They need life. And so Jesus, it says, has compassion on them. 
He's moved, even out of his own need, he is moved with compassion towards them. And then we pick up in verse 35. It says, late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's, getting, it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. Now, the truth is the disciples who were trying to act like they were very altruistic, they were, very, uh, they were worried about the, uh, the people there, like, Jesus, we're so concerned about these people. You know, you need to send them away and make sure that they're taken care of. And the truth of the matter is, because we've already seen it in the, the verse ahead of time, the disciples were hungry, right? Peter needed a snack. It was break time. He was what my wife lovingly refers to as he was in that hungry, angry stage, which has become now hangry. You know what I'm saying? Some of you know what I mean. Like you, It's like we have got to get a, a bar right now, something. We get, we've got people nudging their spouse already, like this one right here. Like, you know, you've seen the Snickers commercial. But Peter was hangry, man. He needed a Snickers. He needed something. He's like, you know what, Jesus, send these people away so I can get a snack. I got some fish and I got some bread over here I want to get down on. Maybe a little olive oil, some pepper and everything. We're going to make it real nice. It's going to be a nice little fish, nothing big. You know what I'm saying? And so Peter was hungry. He had a need. And so he's telling them, like, send them away so that, uh, you know, we can, we can do what we need to do. See, he wasn't concerned with them. He wasn't really concerned with their healing. He wasn't concerned with being generous. In that moment, Peter was concerned with his need. He had a need. He was concerned with the need, and he was concerned with the timing. It's getting late. See, too often we get so concerned, we get so desperate because of our own need that we start counting the clock and saying, God, when are you going to do for me? When are you going to take care of this? When are you going to provide? When is this? When is that? We get so concerned with God's timing. And see, we block out everybody else's need because now we have a need. And Jesus makes this statement. It's so awesome. Like Peter comes to him and he's like, hey, uh, we, I think you should send them away because we need to have a snack because I've got needs. And, and no longer can we minister to them because now we've got to focus on ourselves, a little bit of self-care. And I can't be generous to them because I'm, I'm at a lack right now. And, and so I need to recharge my batteries. I need to refill my bank account. I need to refuel uh, my life. I need to take a step back from the ministry, God, because I need to get my life refilled and refueled. And Jesus says this. He doesn't even stutter anything. He doesn't try to explain or nothing. It's just awesome the way that, that Jesus uh, does this in verse 37. It says, but Jesus said, you feed them. You feed them, Peter. You feed them, disciples. Wait a minute. No, no, no. I have a need. See, I, I'm hungry. I, I, I have a void in my life. I, I'm the one who needs something right now, Jesus. Don't you understand that? And he's saying, no, 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 you feed them. Out of your need, you need to feed. You need to feed them. And then he goes on, he says, Peter says, with what, they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. See, the disciples, like many of us, engaged in a fear response. Their first response is fear. Their first response is to walk not in faith, not to get behind them and say, all right, Jesus, tell us what to do and we're with you. Anything you need. Yes, sir, we believe. We've seen you do all sorts of miracles. We know that you can do another one. No. See, they walk with Jesus, but see, when they're, they knew better, but when their need became so great, they allowed their need to cloud their judgment on generosity. See, when their need began to get bigger, they had the same response that many of us have. And we look towards what we don't have. 
God, I don't have, Peter said, I, we don't have anything. We don't have money. I say Peter, it's the disciples. I, I just imagine Peter saying this because it's very Peter-esque, you know what I mean? Like, it's very Peter-like. And, and so I just imagine him saying this. He foc- they focused on what they don't have. Like so many of us do. God, I don't, I don't have millions to spare. God, I don't have the money. Let somebody else who makes more money be generous. Let somebody else meet their need. God, send somebody who's a millionaire to come and just pay off the church. I'll be okay with that, Lord. You know. But that doesn't usually happen that way. You know how churches get paid for. You know how ministry takes place. It's over the faithfulness of those who have the least that are faithful with what they have. And too often we're waiting for somebody that has more to come along and do what God is calling us to do. God is calling us to do. And the the disciples have the same response. They say, no, Jesus, I need food. I can't feed people when I need. I can't feed when I need. Jesus says, you feed them. Verse 38. He says, how much bread do you have? Go and find out. Then they came back and reported We have five loaves of bread and two fish. Notice here he didn't ask about money. He didn't ask the disciples, how much money you got? He said, how much bread do you have? See, I've already sowed. Jesus said, I've I've already sowed. I'm the bread of life, and I've already sowed into you. I've already given you the seed of what you need. Uh, You already have the seed. You already have the seed. Everything that you need is in the seed. How much bread do you have, Peter? See, God's not always worried about what your bank account says. There are other things that you have that God's saying, what can you be generous with? What can you give to people? See, needs aren't always financial, and seeds are about more than money. See, we can be generous with our time. Martin Luther said this very famous quote. He says, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours of today in prayer. He's, he had so much to do that he was going to be generous with his time with God, that he was going to sow, he was going to sow his time in order that he would reap a harvest of productivity. See, God's calling us to be generous with so much more than just finances. You can be generous with your time and what you give to people, and you can be generous with your talent and serving. And if you play an instrument, Lord knows we, we need people who play instruments, and we need, I, I can't figure out, we need a bass player at this church, and we haven't gotten a bass player. And I'm like, God, send us a bass player, but there's somebody out there that you play bass amazing, but God's calling you to sow your talent. God's calling you to sow your gifts, your personality in the greeters team, in the ushers team, in the children's ministry, man. You have an awesome talent and gift to give to to kids and teaching and learning and those things. And God's calling you to that. And he's saying, be generous with your talent. Be generous with your time. Be generous with your friendship. Be generous with your relationships. Be generous with your forgiveness. See, too often we, we want to reap a harvest of forgiveness when we, when we get things wrong, when we make mistakes, but yet we've not sowed the seeds of forgiveness. I'm going to let that sit for just a second. See, we're, we're wanting to reap a harvest of forgiveness, but we haven't sowed the seeds of forgiveness. We have people in our life that we're holding on. We're holding back grace. We're holding back mercy. And yet when we make mistakes, we, we want everybody to be graceful. We want everybody to be merciful with us. We have to sow the seeds. 
Verse 41, Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. See, when, when you're willing to be generous, not only will you. See, now all of the disciples ate as much as they wanted. They ate till they were full. See, when you're willing to sow a seed of generosity, everybody around you will be blessed. Not just you will be blessed. Everybody around you and God will get the glory. See, Christ wasn't interested in what they didn't have. He already knew what they had. He was interested in showing them that they had everything that they needed. The disciples were hungry. They had a need. Christ was teaching them to sow even in their need. To give, to be generous, even, even more so when you have a need to be generous. To be generous with what you have. Christ was saying, I've given you a seed if you'll walk in faith, whether it's a little or a lot. See, when you are generous out of your abundance, that's good. But when you're generous out of your lack, that's him. And he gets the glory. See, this changes everything because now we don't have to run from generosity. We can run to generosity. When we have a need, when we, when we find ourselves lacking in any area, we could say, okay, God, where's my opportunity? Where can I sow some seed? God, I need a harvest. Yes, we need a harvest eventually, but I know that it doesn't come until I sow some seeds of generosity. And see, that's why this has brought peace in my life. That's brought peace in my relationship with him. That's brought peace in my marriage because I know that consistently the one thing that and I can say for sure that we have always done, Jessica and I as a couple of us, we have always sowed seeds of generosity. And so there are times in our lives when we don't know where money is coming from. We don't know how we're going to pay our bills. We don't know what's going to happen. But we know that we have a harvest coming because we have committed ourselves. We determined and decided that, that we are going to be generous no matter what with what God's given us. And so when he brings it back, when he gives to us, we go around looking for opportunities to bless people. Because we know eventually, one, it blesses them, but two, eventually it's going to come around. And when we need it the most, our seeds are going to produce a harvest. See, that brings freedom. That brings peace. Yes, it's surrender. It's faith. See, I don't have to fear anymore because I know I've seed, sowed seeds of generosity. I know that I've determined in my heart that, that no matter what, that I'm going to walk in faith with what God's given me because it's all his anyway. It was never mine. See, he already gave me everything I ever needed at the cross. See, God looked out and, and he looked at humanity and he knew all of what we would ever need in life. And he sowed the greatest seed in, in history in his son, Jesus Christ. See, the results as Paul concluded in this in chapter 9, verse 11 through 15, he says, Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. You are blessed to be a blessing, if I could paraphrase it there. You are called out. You are different. We are called to bless people through our generosity. It is through being a generous church that people will come to know the love of Jesus Christ, that they'll know the generosity of God in giving his son, Jesus Christ, for us through our generosity. See, Paul continues here and he says, so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. 
They won't thank you. They will thank God. He'll get the glory. He'll get the credit. He'll be honored. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. As a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. And they will pray for you with deep affection because of the overflowing grace God has given to you. Thank God for this gift, too wonderful for words. We have a choice this year. You have a choice. I know for some people this subject can be a little bit tough. It can be a little bit off-putting, and, and I don't apologize for it. In fact, I'm so glad that we have a culture and we have an atmosphere here that we can talk about this because I truly believe with all of my heart, as much as anything, that this will bring freedom to your life this year if we embrace the culture of generosity. It'll bring free, it's already brought freedom to this church in ways that you have no idea. We determined the moment that we uh, determined we were gonna launch this church, that we were gonna be a generous church and God has blessed this church beyond ways and measures that you could never understand and know. Those maybe who have, have been around for a while since the beginning, you understand, but let me tell you something, this is a blessed church. And we will never stop being generous. We will never stop giving to the poor. We will never start, stop giving to the broken, the lost, the hurting, and those who are in need, as long as I'm the pastor here. That is our culture. That is our way. But I'm telling you today that if you want to see God do amazing things this year, if you want to stop living in fear of your lack and fear of what you need and what you want, if you want to start walking in faith in this year, you can be free from all of that begins with a heart today of generosity. In a few moments, I want to pray for you, and we're going to pray that God would help you because it could be a very difficult time, a very difficult decision. And hear me and trust me, this is not about me trying to take up a bigger offering. It's not about me. It's about you. It's what God wants to do in your life and how we walk in faith and trust, and we walk without fear today. And there might be someone in this audience that maybe you've never experienced and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let me help you understand that you don't understand anything about this, but you understand that you have a need. You understand that there's a deficit in your life. You understand that, that you have a need for, for something more, that you're missing hope, joy, peace. Maybe you've just lived in fear and you've not accepted or embraced the peace that you could have in your life in Jesus Christ. See, God loved you so much. God loved you so much that he sowed the greatest seed. He gave the greatest thing. He gave his only son so that by him and through him that you could have life. He gave a life so that you could reap a harvest of life. Not just life, but as John 10, 10, as he says, life more abundant, abundant life, a better life, something beyond what other people know, what other people who live in fear walk in. But Lord, we can walk in faith because of the life of Jesus Christ that lives in us. See, all you have to do is accept it. Paul said in Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord, that you can be saved. You can accept this life that he has for you. You can accept this gift, this generous gift that he freely gives. And then all he asks is that you turn around and that you're generous with that gift. That you're generous with life. You're generous with hope. You're generous with your peace. You're generous with everything that he's blessed you with. That we sow those seeds. But it begins with accepting him. And so today as we pray, 
I wanna pray twofold. I wanna pray for those that, that you have not accepted Jesus. It's so simple. You can simply ask him to come into your heart and believe that he is Christ, that he is Lord. And it's that easy. We wanna walk you through that process. But then there are those of you that maybe this is a very hot button issue. This is a difficult time, different, difficult issue. But I'm telling you, it's the key to your victory this year. It's the key to your success. It's the key to your freedom. And you're, you're struggling now with whether or not to, to determine to be generous, to determine to whether or not you're gonna walk in faith or walk in fear. And it's a difficult struggle. And I know, and I've been there, but let me tell you something, there is freedom on the other side of it. There are a lot of things that I worry about. There are a lot of things that I am not without my own faults and failures and fears. But one thing I never worry about a, I never worry about whether or not I'm going to give because I know that I've determined in my heart for the last 20 years that that's going to be a part of my life. And I never worry about if I'm gonna, if I'm gonna be in need because I know that he will always provide. He might not always provide my wants. I might not always have everything. I might not have all the best and the brightest and, and might not have the best house or anything, but I know that I'll have a roof over my head and I'll be, I'll be well fed because he will always provide my needs this morning I want to pray for you let's pray together dear heavenly father lord I thank you for this moment in time that we have together lord I thank you for this opportunity that we have God lord this word that can be so difficult for some but it is so it's difficult because it brings so much freedom and I know that the enemy right now is trying to take from people he's trying to bring a spirit of fear and he's trying to confuse them because he knows that this will bring liberty like nothing else this will bring freedom in their life he desperately wants them to live in fear and anxiety. And God, I just pray right now, freedom for the captives, freedom for those who have been bound in financial stress and difficulty in relationships, Lord, marriages who have been bound by uh, financial fears. God, we just break every chain this morning in Jesus' name. God, I pray that we would determine in our hearts now that we are gonna live a life of generosity, that we are gonna be a people who are generous, that by our generosity, that people know your good works, they will know your good deeds, they will know your love, they will know your grace and your mercy. And Lord, whenever somebody says thank you to us, we can tell them, you know what, thank him, the one who was so generous with me that I just had to give it to somebody else. God, I pray that we would adapt in a culture and a spirit of generosity in this place and to those, God, who have never accepted the greatest gift that you have ever given, your son, Jesus Christ. Hope awaits them. Joy awaits them. Life awaits them. It is, a, it is the seed of life that you planted 2,000 years ago, God, so that we could reap a harvest today of life everlasting, of joy everlasting, of peace, God, in you. That every day we don't have to wake up in fear, but we can wake up with hope. And God, I pray for that one this morning that has never accepted your son, Jesus Christ, that right now they would make the determination, that they would simply speak in their heart, that they accept your son, Jesus Christ, as their Lord and Savior, that they will, they will turn towards him and away from sin, that they will live for him, and they might not always get it right. We might not always be perfect, but we know that if we come back to you, that there is always a place at your table. There is always a place in your grace. There is always a place in your mercy and in your forgiveness. And God, I just pray right now, God, that we would accept your son, Jesus Christ, and live a life of generosity. In your heavenly and holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Would you give him praise this morning just one more time?